All right, Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us, Lord, this evening. God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we begin to study, God, here again in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Pray that you'd give us wisdom. God, give us understanding. I pray that these that are listening, God, Lord, you'll give them uh, clarity of understanding to them, Lord. Help them, God, to see and understand, God, Lord, what's trying to be conveyed. God, I pray that you'd give me clear words, clear speech. God, I pray for a clear mind. Lord, I pray that you'd help me, Lord, not be distracted. And God, help me, Lord, to focus, God, on what I'm trying to say and get the message across, Lord, and we'll thank you for His name we pray. Amen. All right, we're back here in Ephesians chapter 4, and I've been trying to go over in Ephesians chapter 4 the idea of Paul dealing with the Christian disposition. Paul is, again, like I've said before, he is dealing with particular issues uh, such as verse 25 and 29 talking and even verse 31 to some degree talking about your speech and then in verse 26 and 27 talking about your anger in verse 28 which is what we'll be looking at this evening and hopefully a little bit more than that he deals with quite a bit of stuff but what I'm trying to get across to you is that it's not just uh, the engrafting of new actions although it is that it is a new disposition and I believe that should be very clear to you from Ephesians 4, where he talks about not putting off, or he says in verse 22, putting off the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful us, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So this is an entirely new life that you got when you got saved. And that is, that is what salvation is. Let me belabor that point for just a second and draw out the, the fact, the idea that salvation is a new life. It is not turning over a new leaf. It's not something, uh, it's not an acceptance of a, of a creed or a religion in the sense that the world talks about it. In the book of James chapter 1, the Lord talks, or James, the Lord through James talks about uh, pure religion and undefiled is this, and it's, it's works, it's, it's a particular action. Uh, so it's the same way with the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four in that degree. So it's a it's a disposition, but that translates into action. So we've talked about verse twenty five. We've talked about twenty six, talking about being angry and sinning not, and how that, there's a time element connected with that. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. He says, says in verse twenty six, verse twenty seven. Neither give place to the devil. That's a great statement in and of itself, isolated, but in the text, he's dealing with that anger about getting bitter. And then in verse 28, he says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now, I, I can't help but fire down quite a bit on how the modern-day mentality towards Christianity is because the modern-day mentality is absolutely nuts. It's just completely wrong. And it's the attitude of, I get saved, and now it's going to be a bed of roses. Now everything's going to be easy. And that's not even right in a physical sense. It's not even right uh, in a carnal sense, simply because of what he says here in verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. So let me... Let me start at the beginning of the verse and just make this comment. God can save thieves. And 
so I make that statement and then let me turn it around and say thieves need saving. Uh, the cure to, to, being, to not being a thief anymore is salvation. Now, I understand that there are some folks that may still, they, they may steal even after they get saved. Uh, you're not completely sanctified the moment that you trust Christ as your Savior. You're sanctified on a spiritual sense, but in your flesh, there's some personal sanctification that you have to do. That's discipleship. But I will say that thieves need salvation. And once you get saved, it's expected that you quit stealing and you start working, you start producing. The attitude of a Christian, excuse me, the attitude of a Christian is not that of a freeloader. It's not sitting around and living on uh, alms and, and sitting around and soaking up. And I, I won't contend that there is quite a bit of charity in the Christian life. And when I say charity, I'm not talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 charity. So we, we live in a, in, a, in a day and age, we live in the middle of a, the church as it's called, who takes terms and they just absolutely massacre them and they, they change the meanings of them. Charity is what you find in 1 Corinthians 13. Well, now that term has been reduced to given, giving to a certain organization or giving to a certain cause. Well, I, I, I started out all of that because I wanted to just point out that there is that kind of charity in the Christian life, but that, is, that charity is something that is spoken to Christians in the sense of, hey, ensure that you are charitable towards others. In other words, if you find somebody that has a need, make sure that you give to them. And that's the concept right there in verse 28. He says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Well, like all biblical principles that can be exploited, either a lost man's going to get a hold of this concept or a saved man who's an absolute lazy sack and a bum is going to get a hold of the concept and say, well, now you owe me charity which really is a contradiction in and of itself because if it's something that's owed, that eliminates the concept of it being charitable. That's, that's, that's not charity, that's payment. And so this, it's just, it's absolutely ludicrous. Let him that stole steal no more. The, the Christian attitude is not one of living off of charity. There are, again... There are places in the scripture to where people will have to live off of charity. Uh, Paul makes uh, a, an allowance for that talking about widows. Uh, that practice went all the way back to the book of Acts to where the, the widows were neglected in the daily ministration, which is how deacons came about. So there's going to be situations where people are going to live off of charity, but that is not the overwhelming Christian principle. The overwhelming Christian principle is that Christians be producers. Christians are to be producers. You're supposed to learn to labor, which, by the way, in the verse, he makes a statement, which I'm going to try and draw out for a second here in a little bit. He says, working with his hands, the thing which is good. There's nothing wrong with working with your mind. There's nothing wrong with uh, doing other things. But I, I really believe in this day and age that, uh, physical labor, working with your hands, is severely underrated. 
But anyways, he says, working with your hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. So the attitude of a Christian is that of producing something. And it's, it's not that he sits around and is just being active, but he's actually producing something. There is a slight difference between just being busy and being a producer. I think that concept can be seen in, oh, I believe it's, it's 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 13, if you want to take a look. 1 Timothy five thirteen, he's talking about why you don't take widows under a certain age and widows that live in a certain arrangement. He says, he says, verse 11, but the younger widows refuse for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they'll marry, have in damnation because they've cast off their first faith. And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also in busybodies. We'll see right in the word there's somebody that's being busy, but it's not really being productive. He said tattlers also in busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. And so he tells you what, what you should do with ladies like that to help them stay out of trouble. So the, the Christian attitude is an attitude of production. Again, in Second Thessalonians, uh, look here in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which you received of us. So a while back we started, we, we went through a little bit of First Timothy chapter 3, talking about the requirements of a bishop and how that the reason that God has stringent um, the reason that he has strict rules for a bishop is because God is a God of order. And when God made the church, he made it an organism of order. There's some sermons on sermon audio regarding those things. So it's, it's an ordered organism. And as such, it's supposed to be a, it's supposed to have its leaders. They're supposed to be men of order. Well, here in second Timothy or second Thessalonians three, verse six, he says, he said, I've commanded you in the name of our Lord. He said, we command you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. Well, what exactly is the disorder? Is it that they're getting in the church and they're trying to cause trouble? Is it that they're, you know, wreaking havoc like Paul did before he got saved? Well, look at what he says, verse 7. For yourselves know how, the, how you all ought to follow us for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Look at verse 8. He's going to define it. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. What he's talking about is, hey, we didn't behave ourselves disorderly. We worked. We labored with our own hands. Look in verse 11. He said, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now, think about it this way. If Christianity, if, if in getting saved, we say that when you get saved, you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're saved, you're, you've been regenerated, you've been born again. What's going on in salvation is that the Lord is trying to, in salvation, and this is, it's how He does it. He's not just trying to do it, it's how He does it. There's a restoration that takes place and that restoration, by the way, let me be very clear about this. This restoration isn't completely done until 
uh, the consummation of all things, just for, uh, that might be a big term to you, but I'm going to just leave it at that. The restoration of man is in salvation. Uh, well, what's he being restored to? What did he fall from? Well, Genesis chapter 3, he w- man was in a garden. He was in a perfect place. He, by transgression, fell. He did something that God told him not to do, and he fell from a place. And so now there's a restoration. Okay, so when you go back and you take a look at Genesis chapter 3, what you find is that when you look in Genesis chapter 3, labor is not a part of the, of the fall. Labor is something that took place before the fall ever came about. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Let's take a look at this. This is something that we've gone over in this church several times, but I believe it's worth going over again since we're here in Ephesians 4 talking about Christian conduct, a Christian disposition, Christian character. It's, it's one of labor. It's that of production. Look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So see, that's something that takes place before... Uh, before the fall ever comes about, not something that takes place as a result of the fall. Now, I will, I will point out to you, after the fall takes place, after the fall takes place, uh, the Lord turns to the man in Genesis chapter 3, and he says, verse 17, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. So when after the fall takes place, there it seems to me that the Lord, uh, he takes the workload that they had, and he turns around and increases it. And you stop and think about this. Let me give you something to think about here. Uh, God put Adam and Eve into a garden, gave them a job, gave them a responsibility. They should have been working. They should have been laboring and doing that. Well, all of a sudden, lo and behold, Eve is standing around one day around the tree that God told her not to eat of and told Adam not to eat of. And all of a sudden, here shows up this serpent who we know is the devil. It's Satan. And he poses a question and begins to get them thinking about things that God has already provided answers to. Well, just as a little matter of devotional instruction here, I wonder if they could have avoided, and and I'm implying this, I kind of wonder if they would have just, if they could have just avoided the trouble altogether, if they'd have been busy doing what God told them to do. If they'd have been out there working there possibly wouldn't have been a conversation between Eve and the devil even to begin with. You know that's the case with uh, David. David is, the Bible says in that passage, I believe it's Second Samuel, and I don't remember what the chapter is, but he's standing around in Second Samuel, and the Bible opens up that chapter where he has that fall with Bathsheba, and the Bible says, at the time when kings go forth to war, well, that's something that's supposed to be taking place at a specific time. And David's not involved with it like he should be, and it set him up to get right in the middle of temptation. You know where a lot of your temptations come from? It come, it, the, the temptations, a lot, not all of them, but a lot of the temptations that you go through are often self-imposed, 
simply by the fact that you're in the wrong place at the wrong time because you're not doing what God told you to do when he told you to do it. You know, a, a lot of the gossip that you go through could probably, a lot of the gossip that you partake in could be avoided if you would be out passing out gospel tracts and opening your mouth and talking to people about Jesus Christ. You see how that thing works? Well, see, that's what a Christian's supposed to do. That's what a Christian's supposed to be. He's supposed to be a producer. He's not supposed to be a freeloader. He's not supposed to be an idle man. He's not supposed to be standing in the marketplace, uh, standing around scratching his head and saying, what am I supposed to do? You've got the instructions. Just pick up and go ahead and do it. So go, getting back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, he said, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, let him labor, let him labor. Labor is a dirty word these days, but it's still a scriptural concept. Let him labor. Oh, by the way, Ezekiel, I believe it's Ezekiel chapter 16. You know what the Bible says one of the sins of Sodom was? It wasn't homosexuality. That was God's judgment. The sin of Sodom, one of the things was, uh, let me see if I can remember all of them without turning over there to Ezekiel 16. One of them was prosperity. One of them was pride. One of them was stinginess. She wouldn't help the poor and needy. And the other one was idleness. She wasn't busy. Well, that's the thing that got them thinking about things that they didn't need to be thinking about. Have you ever noticed how many men get messed up in immorality and they're some of the laziest fellows that you've ever met in your life? See, there, I believe there's something to that. I believe there's something to that with all my heart. But he says, let him that stole steal no more back in Ephesians 4.28, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now, I... Like I said, I believe that with all of my heart, the, the value of physical labor is seriously underestimated. It is seriously underestimated. People put a lot of stock in laboring with their brain, and I'm certainly not trying to knock that. I'm not trying to discount that. But there's something to be said for a man getting out and laboring with his hands and eating from having put out sweat across his brow. Uh, I'm not a scientist, nor am I a doctor. I think that's pretty well understood in our church. But I, I, I heard an old preacher talk along the same lines of this and talked about how that uh, one of the problems he believed that we were going through in America with a lot of the health problems that we go through is people just don't get out and they don't sweat. They don't work. They don't sweat. I forget who I was talking about, but somebody was telling me here in the church that they drank something like two or two, three gallons of water a day. Maybe I've got that a little bit heavy. but uh, and, and talk to them, and the reason is because they get outside and they work all day and they just sweat constantly. Well, I don't, I mean, as long as you're staying hydrated, I can't see how that would be a problem. That's, that seems to me to be very good for you. At, at the very least, at the very least, the Bible told, or the Lord told Adam right there, we just read it in Genesis chapter 3, part of the curse, he said, from the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat bread. Uh, the Bible says in the New Testament, he said, if any man doesn't work, neither should he eat. Well, what's going on? I believe with all of my heart. I know that this is going on. Uh, what, let me just back up and say this. You don't have to look very far and look at uh, medical journals to find out the biggest epidemic in the country is not COVID-19. I guarantee you what's killed more Americans than anything 
is something that's related to or something that is directly obesity. It's just people, people eat too much and they don't work enough. That kills more people than anything, I bet you. Now, I have no numbers to back that up, but I guarantee you that's the truth. And it's because people eat and they eat. It's a prosperous country we live in. We eat and we eat and we eat and then don't get out and work. We don't get out and labor. You look at some of the diets that some of your grandpas and great-grandpas ate back many moons ago. They were eating, waking up in the morning and eating things like bacon and eggs and grits and uh, cathead biscuits made from lard and sit down at the dinner table in the afternoon and eat things like fat back or eat a pork chop with the fat all around it. I mean, that's stuff that would make doctors have a heart attack these days. But your great-grandpa and grandma was eating that kind of stuff, and they lived, what, 85, 90, 95 years old? You say, well, what's the count for that? They're getting out and working every day. They're getting out and laboring every day. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, he says, teach us to number our days. He said, teach us to number our days. And the, he goes through there and he says, man's days are three score and ten. That's 70. He said, if by reason of strength, four score, that's 80. Okay, so if you're just a normal fellow, you're going to live 70, 70 years. If you're a strong man, you're going to live 80 years. And he said, their strength, their strength. He defines what their strength is. He said their strength is labor and sorrow. You know, listen, this is one of the wildest things to me. One of the things that I found out, I, I try to exercise a little bit. Uh, I try not to sit around and be a couch potato. A lot of my work is working with my brain and writing things down on paper and thinking about things and trying to explain things clearly. And so I don't really get a whole lot of physical labor in in my life. Uh, I planted this garden that, I, that we have here at the church, and I did that so that I had an opportunity to get out and sweat. And boy, in this South Georgia heat, I sure do get that. But one of the other things that I did was I went out and bought all this weight equipment. And I say weight equipment, I bought uh, a rack, a weight rack, and all that stuff. And I started trying to eat to gain a little bit, bit of weight, put some pounds on, and then tried to start exercising. One of the things that I found out about exercising, about trying to get stronger, about trying to put on a little bit of weight, is something that it does to your will. Uh, you get under that, under that weight and you start trying to squat 150 or 200 pounds, and by the time you get underneath that weight and start bearing up under it, man, in your mind you're thinking, man, there ain't no way I can do this. But then you just get under it and suck it up, buttercup, so to speak, and Man, you get under it and do it, and you walk away with this great sense of accomplishment. Uh, I think that's something that everybody can identify with. But what I'm trying to get you to think about is the Bible says in, in that verse in Psalms, he says, uh, he says their strength is labor, labor. That's contending with something. That's trying to put something in order. That's trying to produce something. It's labor and sorrow. When you get yourself in a situation to where you're trying to produce something or you're trying to uh, get something accomplished and as a result of that you go through sorrow and you go through heartache and you deal with the frustration of failure and then have to turn around and figure out, okay, how do I make... What you're doing, what you're really doing is you're building a constitution to live. 
that's really a wild thing. You're you're really gearing your mind up. Now, I don't don't uh, get off the boat and don't uh, misunderstand me. I believe with all of my heart the reason the God is the reason that you live the age that you live to be. Uh, plus nothing, minus nothing. Well, I say plus nothing, minus nothing. That's not exactly true. The Bible says wicked man is not going to live out half his day. So you certainly do have something to do with that. I, I do believe that God will let a man, God determines how long a man sticks around. But at the same time, I do believe that there is something that man has to do with that stuff. At the Bible tells you, if by reason of strength, he tells you right there in the book of Psalms, if by reason of strength, it's four score years, you can add 10 years to your life, according to the scriptures, just by being a strong man. And that strength is defined as laboring. It's defined as going through sorrow. So there's something to be said for, obviously, obviously, there's something to be not discounted about going through physical labor. There's something to be said that about uh, creating a mindset to live, to thrive, to go forward by going through sorrow. So let him that stole steal no more, getting back to the text, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good. Now, I, I want to point that out. He says, let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good. It's not a thing of working with your hands, period. It's working with your hands the thing which is good. That's what a Christian is supposed to do. You say, well, I can go out and play the lottery and I'll tithe on it and God's going to be happy with that. Well, listen. If you go play the lottery and you win and you tithe on that money, the church will use that money, no doubt. But I'm telling you, God's not going to bless you. God's not going to bless you at all. You say, well, are you saying that the church doesn't want dirty money? That The dirtiness is not in the money. The dirtiness is in the deed that you did to acquire that money. So the money will spend just fine, but the thing that's really hurting you is what you're doing to acquire it. The Bible says here that you're supposed to labor with your hands the thing which is good, the thing which is good. So do well, do right, do right things. That's what the Lord's going to bless. And then he said that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now, throughout the Bible, throughout the Scripture, there is the concept of exactly as it's stated in the New Testament, if any man doesn't work, neither should he eat. Throughout the Bible, there's the concept of provide for your own needs. You're supposed to provide for your own needs. But there is also the concept in the, in, as, in the New Testament as well as in the Old that when you go work, when you go labor, try to save a little bit. Try to pile up a little bit uh, in, in your bank account. In the Old Testament, it would be in your field or, you know, whatever it is that you have. And try to save that up for folks that don't, are not as fortunate as you are. And listen, listen, don't, uh, I, I'm, very, I'm very cautious about who I give money to and who I help out because I just believe a lot of folks are, are asking for a handout because they're lazy, they're not really in need. However, however, I will say there are people genuinely that have needs and it would be right for you as a Christian to help those people out. You know, in the Old Testament, the Lord told him, he said, when you go sow your fields and you get the harvest, he said, go out there and harvest everything 
And he said, if, if your servants drop some stuff out in the field, he said, don't go back and get it. He said, if you forget a sheaf out, out in your field, he said, don't go back and get it. He said, when you come through and you harvest your field, he said, leave the corners of the field, leave the gleanings. And he said, that'll be for the fatherless and the widow. If a, if a woman's married and her husband dies, well, she'll have the opportunity to go out into the field of the rich man or go out into the field of a man who's already got his harvest and she'll be able to get something so that she can survive. See, it's not a, listen, it's not a thing. Christianity is not a thing of giving you full, full access to my bank account. In other words, I'm not going to look at somebody and say, well, oh yeah, I feel so bad for you. Here you go. Here's my bank account number and here's my routing number. Just live out of it just the same way that I do. That is not Christianity. That's what all this stupid social causes is. That's, or social causes are. That's what all this, uh, well, I don't even want to get into all that. That's what all this modern day foolishness is that we're fighting with in society right now to where if you don't help somebody, even though they're on dope and they're drunkards and they, they, they're not interested in getting right with God, then you're such a poor, you're such a person of poor character. That's, that, that's not right. That, that is not Christianity. What is right, what is good, what is true, what is holy is that you go labor. Go labor. And when you labor, first of all, try to save a little bit for yourself. There wouldn't be anything wrong with that. Save a little bit for yourself. Uh, one of the things that strikes me about that, I throw this in here right quick, is that when Joseph got down there to, to Egypt and Pharaoh had that dream hey, you're getting ready to have X amount of, of uh, years of plenty, and then you're getting ready to have the same amount of years of, of famine. I forget whether it was five or seven. But he said, you're getting ready to have these, this year of famine or this year of pl these years of plenty, and then exactly after that, the same amount of years of famine. Pharaoh looked at him and said, well, what do we do? Joseph said, well, he said, you should, he said, you should go through and collect a tax, one-fifth, of the increase of the land and store it up for the years of famine. Well, that's 20%. Well, I don't know what your financial situation is, and this is not a hard and fast rule, but it might be a good rule of thumb for some of you to start putting up 20% of everything that you bring in in case of hard times. That wouldn't be such a bad idea. But either way, the, the scriptural principle is labor. Live off of your labor. Store up a little bit for yourself. Make sure you give to God. Make sure you bless the Lord with the increase of your hands. And then turn around and find people that have genuine need. Or when you run across people that have genuine need, do what you can to help them. Do what you can to help them. Now listen, if you had a society of Christians that lived that way, what need would there be for a welfare program? The welfare program would be the church. That's a pretty, that's a pretty wild thought. See, all the social causes that you're in, the, all the social uh, problems that we're in the middle of can be remedied with the gospel. It can be remedied by leading people to Christ, showing them how to live, showing them how to live, and the Lord just put all that stuff together. God's got all that stuff figured out. So, Ephesians 4.28, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. All right, Lord, help us tonight. God, pray, Lord, this study, God, was a blessing to some folks. 
God, I pray you'd help us, God, Lord, as we continue our studies, Lord, to get a little bit farther. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.